man. There's a beverage here, huh? Does anybody here know how many times I've had to watch Funny Lady? I'm gonna get that gun of mine, and I'm gonna change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Hey, everyone. How's it going? And you're listening to another episode of Who Shot Ya? I'm your host, if you want, anyway, and you know, as always, got some people in the booth with me. Uh, first up, we have Films Reviews Editor at The Rap, Alonzo Duralde. What's good? Oh, Iffy, I'll tell you what's good. You know, it's November, and so I don't even have to hide it anymore. Like, it's just, <laughs> it is Christmas in my head all the time, and uh, SiriusXM has launched, like, a dozen different Christmas channels. It's amazing. So there's one that's like Hallmark branded. There's one that's all like traditional old stuff, but there's like a country one and a, 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 an R&B one and like the chill out room. Like like all kinds. Every Wait, like music? Yes, all music, all different strains of, of Christmas music. So, you know, I just get that menu in front of me and if there's one I don't like, I just flip over to something else. One of those dozen channels is going to have some song I want to hear. I'm only interested if there's a reggaeton Christmas channel. Oh, probably I, I'm sure it slipped in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I found I had like a Spotify hip-hop Christmas playlist because I was like, let me funk this up a bit. I was like, nah, jazz is as funky as I'll go. Once <laughs> once we get to the... Because it gets very loose with the hip-hop Christmas because then you'll get like the like sad hip-hop, you know, like the, what would you do if there's someone's at home crying all alone on the bathroom Because <laughs> I'm like, this is sad. I'm trying to dance. Christmas and Hollis and then we just... That's yeah, it. <laughs> but I do like that we've fully accepted that November 1st Christmas time. Like oh, yeah. every, there has been no fighting it. Everyone this year is like, yes, it's time for Christmas. 12.01 a.m. Yeah. Boom. Boom. So you just enabled me to start watching. It's basically. I'm here for you. Susan. <laughs> also, uh, to my left here, we have producer and films festival programmer, Drea Clark. What's good? Um, what's good with me is I just started listening on my Libby app. As you know, I mm. love my good library app. Um, to a an audiobook of La Belle Sauvage, which is in the Book of Dust trilogy by Philip Pullman. That's the ah. prequel to um, his Dark Materials. Yeah. And I know that there's a series that just started that. And La Belle Sauvage actually came out a couple of years ago. But... My favorite thing about the books that I will listen to an audiobook, it has to be because there's a great reader. And this is read by Michael Sheen, who Ooh. is so good at it. Like, it's one, like, even before I heard this, obviously, I've had deep fantasies about just like laying in his lap as he brushes my hair and like reads me poetry, because who hasn't? But within <laughs> the book, he's so good. Like, all of the voices are so good. The main character is this, at least as far as I am, is this 11 year old boy who's sort of precocious and nervous and it's so he's just such a good reader and I love Philip Pullman anyway so it is good listening if you're li looking for an audiobook I would highly recommend I'm, it when I go home tonight I'm going to watch episode one of His Dark Materials same same I, I self-admitted to those yet. I can't yeah. wait Yeah, okay. I've been deep in Watchmen but I yes. already oh, yes. oof, all this we'll take that offline yeah. <laughs> so much to talk about I know alright and right across from me is novelist and Eisner nominated comic comic book writer, Cecil Castellucci, what is good? 
Um, um, well, I write Batgirl right now. That's yeah. uh, that's what I'm doing. Nice. So I'm mm. always interested. I'm going to say two different things. So I'm always interested in um, uh, reinventions of origin stories for, uh, you know, um, superheroes. And I just got uh, the screener for a film that I saw this year that I loved called uh, Fast Color, oh, um, yes. which was so great. And um, so I'm really excited about that. And then I have a lot of friends that are getting divorced. And so oh. I just saw a marriage story. Ooh. And I feel like I can finally fully be there for them. <laughs> You know, and I feel like that's an important, uh, important thing. And it was, it was excellent. Marriage Story, yeah, one of my favorite movies this year. Yeah, it was fantastic. Iffy, what's going? Oh, damn! Oh. <laughs> I looked, but I didn't say. Oh, well, looks like Alonzo won this one. <laughs> what's good with me is ComplexCon was this past weekend, which, if you don't know, uh, the 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 uh, sh- the streetwear hip Alonzo definitely knows. You know, uh, <laughs> media giant complex does a convention at Long Beach and Chicago, where basically they sell a bunch of exclusive shoes, clothes. That's where I got this shirt from. It's uh, so good, uh, and uh, and different things. I went there, and the the clothes and shoes I got were great. But I think the winner for everything was I got that truff hot sauce, which is like it's hot <laughs> sauce infused with truffles. Because I don't know about oh. y'all, but I'm a truffle fiend. How much of a truffle fiend, you may ask? Well, I pressed uh, an employee at uh, Trader Joe's a few weeks ago. Uh, I was like, hey, I need truffle salt. And they're like, ah, it's not in season. I was like, oh, this is bullshit. Uh, (laughs) This will not do. Yeah, yeah. They're like, it'll be in the next season, yada, yada, yada. So since I knew November 1st is the switching of seasons, I pulled up. I was like, where's that truffle at? And they're like, ah, you know, I don't know. He said he was being real smart with me. He was like, ah, we won't have a truffle salt. We'll have a truffle sauce and a truffle. I was like, when is, where is that? Where is that? You know what I want. (laughs) And he was like, oh, that's going to come tomorrow. So I went to the gym the next day, came muscles bulging sweating and ran right to the truffles and now i got a uh, truffle hot sauce truffle powder and truffle sauce uh because i'm a little truffle boy oh my god wow. right. yeah. i like that for you yeah well today's show we're talking about terminator dark fate and talking about our favorite film set in one night in a segment called night moves night moves it's the moves that happen at night and our staff picks but first it's time for our new segment called Edidic. Short for Is This Important? Do I Care? Each of us will read a new segment and answer the question, Is This Important? And Do I Care? Hey, I'll start us off. Oh, oh. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. You guys. Um, all right. So in a recent interview with Yahoo, director Roland Emmerich gave th- some thoughts on his sequel to Independence Day, otherwise known as Independence Day Resurgence. Emmerich, who is best known for big-budget disasters <laughs> like The Day After Tomorrow, 1998's Godzilla, which was one of Iffy's staff picks, um, and Stargate, <laughs> said that he should never I think have you even... mean disaster movies and not disasters, although some of them certainly are both. Mm, I don't know. Casey wrote this. My guess is he meant disasters. He Stargate was like a that. hit. It was dumb, but it was a hit. <laughs> um, well... Emmerich, who's best known for several hits and maybe a disaster or two, (laughs) said he should never have even made the sequel. Quote, I just wanted to make a movie exactly like the first, what every artist wants. But then in the middle of production, Will Smith opted out because he wanted to do Suicide Squad. More artful choices. Mm -hmm. Um, I should have stopped making the movie because we had a much better script. And then I had to really fast cobble another script together. Jeff Goldblum and Bill Pullman's characters return for the sequel. Will Smith's character apparently died somehow. (laughs) (laughs) Who knew? Is this important? Do you care? 
Well, I have something in common with Roland Emmerich in that I also wish he had never made uh, Independence Day resurgence. And uh, I'm sorry, I need to bring this up again, but justice for Margaret Collin, what the hell happened to her? She was an integral part of the first film, not even mentioned in the sequel. Truly. Like, what? Margaret Collin, people! Why are yeah. we sleeping on Margaret Collin not coming back for this movie? Uh, that movie was rotten, and um, yeah, he's right. He My guess is, are you the only one? In the, did you see it? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm thinking yeah, you're I, the I only one yeah. here who's seen it. See it. Yeah, well, but I think the problem is right here. I just wanted to make a movie exactly like, <laughs> like the, the first. first. I mean, I think that yeah. that just sort of. But we've seen. There's been other people who have like recreated elements of the first movie. There's a cash grab element to all of this, but you know, it's uh, the motion picture business, not the motion picture here to make friends. <laughs> no, um, yeah, it's totally a, that, that is, I think the rule of sequels, like just do that yeah. again. Do that again. I think though, there is something nice. Well, no, it's not nice, but it is interesting. Like losing a, it's not just the Will Smith, is the it's like that's who you think of when you think of Independence mm-hmm. Day, yeah. and then you think of Bill Pullman, and then you think of the White House blowing up. Yeah, but and Margaret Collin, uh, obviously. <laughs> I'm sorry, who you think of first, Margaret Collin, <laughs> whom I'm sadly going to have to Google after this because <laughs> sorry, you'll know. I'm the worst. I will know. But um, Will Smith not being in it. Oh yeah, it wasn't. It's it was also Will Smith's big star making turn. Yeah. Like there's so many things that he's so tied into that franchise that that. That is ridiculous to me. And also, really, you have, you know, $120 million you can put into a movie that can't push for six months. Like, oh, you can't get all of these pieces back together? Like, oh, like Bill Pullman should be that hot out in demand that you can't get him again, but you could probably get him again. Well, like, I, I know people love Grease, too, but in terms of it being a sequel to Grease, it's like, so we got... No, no, they couldn't... Didi Khan, Didi Khan is back, and Eve Arden. You know, like Listen, it, it, they had Lorna Luft. They didn't need anything absolutely. else. Absolutely, but I'm just saying. Like I think if, if that movie, if that movie weren't called Grease Two, would have had a fighting chance. Uh, the Nigerian film Lionheart was recently disqualified for entry into the Academy Awards Best International Feature Film category. The reason for the disqualification was attributed to the fact that most of the film is in English, which is against the rules. And director Ava DuVernay brought attention to the issue on Twitter, saying you disqualified Nigeria's first ever submission for Best International Feature because it's in English, but English is the official language of Nigeria, to which I can attest to as a Nigerian. Uh, <laughs> the Academy stood by their ruling because, of course, they they did uh, because even though they changed the name of the category from best foreign language film to the more updated best international feature film, the rule still states that the film cannot be uh, in English. And even though Lionheart does have portions of film spoken in Igbo, shout out to the Igbo tribe, it is predominantly in English. Uh, is this important? Do you care? I, I, I mean, duh. The, to me, yeah. This is the most iffy, important, most iffy cares uh, situation. I mean, there is the real technicality, but my argument, I don't, I don't know how y'all feel, is like then switch it back to foreign language film. Like, it, yeah. like you, you, yeah, yeah. I, I think this is a this is a rules issue because, like, yeah. you know, if Great Britain wants to submit a film, it's got to be like in Welsh, basically, and when Canada yeah. submits a film, it's in French, and so yeah, there should either be Nigerian films that are in you know, another language or what, but yeah, like just nail down what the actual specific yeah. rules I, are. I do agree that them change. I agree with the change of the name of the category because the, the committee members who changed it, they're 
positioning was when we call a category foreign language, it's so America centric. It's mm-hmm. so I mean, and obviously it's the Oscars is an American organization, but it does have global reach. And the idea we pivot so much around the U.S. anyway. So broadening that of like foreign language makes foreigners out of other artists, whereas international seems more embracing. It does screw up the idea of what international means when you change the language. But the, the twofold problem is one, it could mean that huge films like The Favorite or what was the other Dunkirk. one? Dunkirk. <laughs> Dunkirk could have been up for this category, which is, puts all of those other films out of real running. But then also when we are like, okay, so we're going to adhere to the not English, then what about countries like Nigeria that do have an English majority but do not have the like round the like yeah. powerhouse well, cinema? I mean, there. But you know, like Australia does have a thriving cinema, but they make almost all their films in English. So it's like, well, then you have to you have to then compete in the in the big fish category. Right. And it's the same with Canada. I mean, I'm Canadian. And yeah. so, you know, and I'm from Quebec. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so I'm French. So, you know, I see a lot of those movies that are submitted, the French, the Quebec ones, but mm. not not so much the, the English ones. I, I wonder why it can't be like maybe a budget thing then. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, why can't it be? Because it seems silly that we're in such a global village now, you know, that like like, and I, I, I like your point of saying that, like, you know, um, being foreign language film, like, sort of centers, uh, you know, it being very American, you know, and like, oh, that's whatever. But um, but I think when you have so many um, so many countries that, you know, have English not necessarily as their, you know, I mean, like Quebec, you know, like it's not, you yeah. know, it's, it's there, but it's like it's that wasn't what we spoke, you know, or whatever. I, I feel like they, they sh- if they're worried about the bigger films coming in, then they should they should make it a budget thing so that like a cap. Yeah. Yeah. So that they can't get in there. Well, I mean, you know, BAFTA has the category that's called Best Film Not in the English Language, which just you know, rolls off the tongue. Puts a fine point on it, if nothing else, <laughs> yeah. I guess. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I remember that I think it was it was like as late as the 90s that Britain or the, the United Kingdom literally submitted their first entry into this category because they finally had like a Welsh film that they wanted to submit but it had never happened before and the category had existed for decades at that point Uh, but obviously it's different when you're talking about like you know richer countries with a more you know long-standing cinematic tradition like Britain, Canada, Australia versus like Nigeria who could really benefit from this kind of international Mm -hmm. spotlight so I don't know what the solution is I, I think that as cruddy as this decision may appear it is at least consistent yeah yeah so i'll give them that yeah. uh, according to the hollywood reporter james dean who died in 1955 has been posthumously cast in a new film about the vietnam war a war during which he was not alive called finding jack uh directors anton erst and tati golik uh obtained the life rights from dean's family and will create a realistic cgi version of james dean for the film he will be constructed via full body cgi using old film footage and photos a different actor will voice him i'm glad that was pointed out uh the directors had this to say about the quote-unquote casting We searched high and low for the perfect character to portray the role of Rogan, which has some extreme complex character arcs. And after months of research, we decided on James Dean, unquote. 
<laughs> is this important? Do you care? Boo! I didn't think Ugh. I could hate anything more than I hate this. I mean, it's like, man, you, you ran out of white actors to cast, so you went and raised them from the dead. Bro, let me see that casting list, bro. Let me see. If you if you don't have a single black person and you're bringing white people from the dead, oh, I'm going to find you. Uh, uh Anton Erst and Tati, I'm coming. I'm coming for you. Oh, if he's a bit available for finding Jack, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, th- this is gross on so many levels. Like, yep. I'm still mad about Fred Astaire's widow licensing his image to that vacuum cleaner commercial oh, yeah. where he dances around yeah. with a dust devil. And yeah. it's like, ugh, stop it. You know. Uh, but I mean, obviously, as the technology continues. You know, as the forest gumpification of dead people, you know, becomes more of a thing. This is, I mean, like, they are very cannily taking advantage of this to get some press for this oh, movie. Oh, a thousand percent. It's, that's the whole reason of it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. everything else, like, they, there's no, this nonsense. We searched high and of low course. for the no, perfect, no, no. Yeah. Like, It is ridiculous. Yeah. But this is going to be happening more and more now. I mean, yeah. we're seeing, like, you know, they did it with Peter Cushing and, and Carrie Fisher yeah, in sure. Rogue One. Uh, you know, the, the, the other films have been started to do this kind of thing and you know we're seeing actors get you know digitally youngified and all that other stuff so yeah at some point it's like hey we got Marilyn Monroe you know I, I just find the whole thing yeah, really it's, yeah, it's horrible. been leading up to this for a long long time I remember like sort of the media technology like back 20 years ago I remember that there were like articles about you know sort of like digital acting and you know and that like actors wouldn't be needed anymore and I wonder like what you know uh, you know it's one thing about the licensing of like a likeness and stuff like that but what are like what are the sag rules for that mm-hmm. like what are what are the union rules for that and then like how does it you know i mean because the the thing is is that it it affects obviously people's livelihood and you no matter how great a digital situation might mimic something it's not the same as like motion capture acting, you know, which is a totally different thing. And it's 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 just it, you can't get the nuance in a in a in a in a digital a digital act. Even if you could, there's something to me so grotesque about it's like it's grave robbing, right? Yeah. Like you're these people are artists. The actors who whose likenesses are presumably being purchased and recreated. They're pulling their cadavers out of the (laughs) ground and using them like against their will. And that bothers me unless you've expressly put in your like final last words, please, please put me in a Dyson commercial after my death. (laughs) But like Zelda Williams, Robin Williams daughter tweeted something like they had they had made sure her father's life rights were so locked away that that he can't be mm. you know sort of exhumed in this way yeah. and i just i find it it's wrong for wrong for a lot of reasons but just the art of it is this how can we ugly? cross yeah. how can we cross necrophilia with those awful disney live action remakes that are actually just animated animals with motion capture it's like yeah. a reboot a reboot culture gone wrong you know yeah. in a sense. but this one seems extra gross because at least you know with star wars and youngification there's like purpose behind it you're like oh, or they I were get, ca- or they know. were characters those people originated exactly sure. so it's like yeah i can see why you want you know carrie fisher to still play lay you know that makes sense this is just just this is where it gets real gross because you're like no you're just putting this person who never agreed yeah. to be in your movie to use their clout yeah <laughs> to sell James you, Dean you, did not say he wanted to yeah. find Jack yeah <laughs> at all think, think of it this way if you think it would be in terrible taste and against the wishes of the of the the deceased to put them in pornography 
Why is it any different to put them in some movie that they never knew it was going to exist? That said, you guys totally have my consent to make yeah, yeah. any suggestions. Oh, yeah. 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 No, you can you definitely have uh, Ghost Iffy on Who Shot Your Promo for the rest of <laughs> for the rest of the run. Uh, but uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, ghost ourselves by taking a break. And when we come back, we'll be talking about Terminator Dark Fate just as soon as we hear from another one of the shows on Maximum Fun. We are so thrilled at your interest in attending Hieronymus Wiggenstaff's School for Heroism and Villainy. Wiggenstaff's beautiful campus boasts state-of-the-art facilities and instructors with real-world experience. We are also proud to say that our alumni have gone on to be professional heroes and villains in the most renowned kingdoms in the world. But of course, you are not applying to the main school, are you? You're applying for our sidekick and henchperson annex. You will still benefit from the school's amazing campus and you'll have a lifetime of steady employment. Of course, there's no guarantee how long that lifetime will be. Join the McElroys as they return to Dungeons and Dragons with the Adventure Zone Graduation every other Thursday on Maximum Fun or wherever podcasts are found. Welcome back to Who Shot Ya. I'm your host, Ify Wadiway, and in the studio with me are... Drea Clark. Cecil Castellucci. Alonzo Duraldi. And today we're talking about Terminator Dark Fate. Cecil, since you're our guest, could you please give us a quick synopsis of the film? Sure. Uh, so Terminator Dark Fate uh, sort of technically takes place after Terminator 2. Uh, so uh, uh, Linda, Sarah Connor and John Connor have escaped. Uh, the future is safe and stuff like that. But then, uh-oh, something happens and um, and uh, the Terminators are back. And, um, and then we cut to uh, now where there is a young woman who is now the focus of uh, the future. And um, she is clearly a part of the resistance in some way. And there's a new Terminator. Um, who is good, and there's a new Terminator who is bad, and uh, they're fighting to help the future. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's a great synopsis. But just to get things started, uh, what's everyone's relationship to the Terminator franchise? I loved these. I don't remember when or why I saw the first one. It was earlier on, so it might have been an actual theatrical experience, but I loved them. There's something about the Terminator world. I love sci-fi in general, and this one really always spoke to me because it and I'm saying this in the franchise, I'm speaking mostly of one and two. Yeah. Um, because there was something about those that had the humanity that I love about sci-fi of how it like, you know, winnows down on really specific human emotion or a drive um but then also had futuristic things dystopian elements and um and then they kept getting darker and darker mm -hmm. as i got older and older and i was like i already find things darker yeah. you don't need to make these movies darker i'm more of a bummer every day <laughs> so yeah that's my uh terminator i, I remember going to see the first one in high school and there were a lot of things I liked about it, but I could not let go of the whole, well, how could they send him back in time if he didn't, that didn't exist yet? With the, you know, that whole, there is a paradox there and you just have to let it go. I have learned as, as I've gotten older, you just have to let it go. I was younger and I couldn't. I'm um, so relieved that I know the let it go Alonzo <laughs> and not the Alonzo trying to talk me into this paradox. Oh brother. And then, but then T2 came out and it was like, wow, 
wow, what the hell? Like, I mean, that was the the technology has sped up so much and is so constantly like topping itself and and you know reforming and 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 creating new things that weren't around before that we don't get game changer movies as much as we used to. I mean, they're almost always directed by James Cameron, really. Uh, You know, I mean, like Titanic was one and I think Avatar was one, arguably, but there aren't a lot of movies you walk in and you're like, holy shit, I've never seen that before. But T2 is a movie that, that really felt like it was sort of rewriting the visual effects rules in front of us and doing something with them. You know, like making them germane to this plot and, and you know, uh, and T2 is essentially a remake of T1. We were talking earlier about like sequels that sort of do the same thing again. Yeah. T2 is that, but you know, it is it is the textbook definition of writ large, I would say. So <laughs> it, it gets away with it. Yeah, for me, they were like um, in my film DNA. Mm. You know, I would say that they're definitely core. They're definitely canon for me. Um, I saw, you know, Terminator in the movie theater when I was in high school and was blown away. I'm, you know, I'm a writer. I love um, time travel stories. The paradoxes don't bother me, <laughs> um, you know, uh, because I like the trick of them. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and Terminator 2, the same thing. It was just just so wonderfully, like, switched in the way that they, you know, made, like who's the villain, who's not the villain. Um, and how you care for characters and how, you know, and how a villain can be as uh, that you fall in love with villains and that then to have that um, that villain become a person that you like to uh, was amazing. Um, I'm also a big fan of Terminator 3. Um, I like Terminator 3, the one with Claire Danes and Nick Stahl. And Nick Stahl. I like that one because um, because, you know, the the first two movies, they keep they keep averting the end of the world. And in Terminator mm. 3, they actually end the world. And I thought that that like that blew me away as a writer. Um, the other ones, I don't even know. <laughs> Ooh. Too much. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I rode I rode through. Like I saw one, two, three, and then uh I I think I saw four. Uh which one the I saw all the way up until the one before Genesis. Genesis was when I was four like, is Christian Bale and then five is Genesis. Oh, yeah. Okay, so yeah, I definitely saw four because I was real into Bale Terminator. I was like, I'm I'm here for this ride. I mean, this was a Batman era Bale, so I'm like fully drunk drunken. You know, I was young enough to really be into, you know, uh American Psycho. I'm like, oh this the Christian Bale is like just the 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 coolest. Uh so I was locked in. And he acted and, like a dick during the shoot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this, Bruce. Yeah, this, I don't stand in your eyeline, Bruce. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> He'll never live that oh, down. Man, no. yeah. I can't uh, think of that movie without thinking of you. We're yeah, done professionally. Yeah. <laughs> oh. But yeah, so I, I was been I've been rocking with it. So this one was real fun to also see them retcon. Like they're like, oh no, forget all that other stuff. We're starting from two. <laughs> no, and and so I I liked. I was like, all right, I like it. You have a clean premise, which is another problem I had. The the last few, the Genesis and Rise of the Machines. One of my problems with them was I think for good sci-fi to track, I need. An A, a B, a C. Yeah. This person needs to do this in this amount of time. I mean, yeah. that's true for every movie, but especially a movie that's based around like, oh, action pieces. And this is going to be a whole section of them driving and whatever. I just need to know, okay, who is going where and what do they need to do Stakes, there? Stakes, ticking clock. Exactly. And, and this film sets those up really stuff. well. Yeah. Especially when there's world stuff that you need to be educated in to know how the world works. Like you need it to be super clear. Yeah. Like, Honestly, I do not remember a single thing about Genesis 
at all. No, I definitely <laughs> saw it. Nothing. I know I saw it. I think yeah. I even saw it twice. Don't there, remember I know there's anything. some switcheroos. That's about all I remember. Yeah. I just remember Genesis was spelled dumb. Yeah, yeah. that too. Yeah. Uh, there is. I have one tiny correction to your uh, to your uh, uh, <laughs> synopsis. No, no. It's a, the, 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 there, you said there's a good Terminator, bad Terminator. There's actually the good oh, person yeah. is a human being who's been enhanced, an augmented human, an augmented yeah. like she's a cyborg. Well, but there is there's there's Arnold. Well, okay, oh, yes, but he yes. hasn't. But he's Sneaky, all right. Yeah, fine. That's what all she right. was doing. Okay, <laughs> that's what she was doing. I also I'll, I'll allow it. I was trying. I was trying to. I was well. I, yeah, and Arnold's also in the trailer. It's not a spoiler. <laughs> talk about where, like, you know, one of the interesting things about Arnold's um, Terminator is that his role as you mean her- Carl. Carl, uh, his role as either hero or villain in Terminator One, Two, and in this movie. True you know, constantly change and our relationship with the hero villain that he is right. um, changes. And I think that that's really successful. And I think it's m- very successful in this movie. For me, the thing that that the, the one ingredient that wasn't um, in the movie was it to me, it felt like it was missing a heart, like um, like it didn't have that one thing. And I don't mean a romantic like kind of thing, but I think that's what worked really well in Terminator 1 and Terminator 2, you know, it being about the, you know, mother, mother son. son yeah. um, but this one. When I felt like there was there was just like one like one ingredient the truffle oil yeah. was missing <laughs> um, to make me really you know I should I felt like I should have been sobbing at the end of that movie and I wasn't and I, yeah. I I'm just wondering what you guys thought I uh, I in the iffy words my eyes sweated a little at the end yeah, yeah, yeah you got a little bit well, of that yeah did you have a uh, with me I I didn't have that for me that wasn't what through me the one thing for me that was a kind of a little wrench is that whole portion where they're sitting outside and having that conversation around coronas uh, oh you mean yeah. the fast and the furious scene. yeah like that <laughs> where it's all about family that, that yeah. really it, it felt like the movie just swapped tones for a hot second i'm like what am i watching and also i was like does this intertwine this with the fast verse like is there is there going <laughs> oh, to be a terminator a fast uh i would it surprise you I, I think i think it's a valid point though i think you're right yeah. there is isn't a uh, the the emotional stakes arrive very late in the yes, film because yes. they treat them like a reveal and while it's an interesting reveal it does mess up the 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 our investment in it up until that point You're right they treated that stuff like the reveal and so it it didn't help us as the viewer to want to to be emotionally invested yeah. in the characters and and my feeling was that because we didn't really know very much about grace and why she was augmented and and all of that that um it and her sort of reveal about certain things comes much later in the movie. And Grace yeah. is the Mackenzie Davis. Yeah, she's the Mackenzie Davis, uh, not Terminator, uh, the person, augmented soldier from the future, yeah. yes. protector of Donnie. Um, you know, and I thought she was excellent. But because we don't really know that much about her, I felt like um, I, I couldn't get as emotionally involved with her and her relationship to why she was there. Absolutely. No, no, I agree. I, what I did love in this movie is. Linda Hamilton. Oh, like, yeah. I, I yeah. just, I mean, I, her performance was great, but I love just the idea of the Sarah Connor that we're getting because we've seen so many movies in the history of Hollywood about like grizzled, you know, over 60 men who've seen too much and are bitter and cynical and have a gun and all that talk out of the side of their mouth. And you almost never get to see a woman be that level of experienced and, you know, burned out and, 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 and just sort of like looking at life through that lens. And she makes that character so fascinating. Like I was talking to Dave about this, how, and this is a word I use with trepidation because it, it is 
often used insultingly, but I'm sort of using the kind of feminist definition of it, which is the idea of the crone, which mm-hmm. is the, the sort of older, wiser woman, a powerful woman, sometimes maybe a, a woman with powers, um, you know, that we don't see celebrated a lot in the mainstream media. And here's a woman who is of a certain age, who looks like she's of a certain age because she has not gone through like the Hollywood car wash. And so to see her be this like large and in charge and in control is an exciting thing to see in a movie. And and I think the, also to your point about the idea that this movie didn't do well because of the, the the strong female characters, if it makes you feel any better, I think part of the reason this movie didn't do well is that it is the sixth entry in a franchise yes. that people did not like the last two or three right. movies. I'd of. rather that be the problem. I totally <laughs> agree with I that I like hope to be a crone like that myself Me someday too. soon. Cecil and I will have shotguns and sit on like a porch somewhere. I mean, apart from the seed ladies in Mad Max Fury Road, yeah. like oh, where are absolutely. these characters? Well, I got, Abs- and those me, are characters I want to right yeah. there i want to see like a million movies about crones well like i got that. a flavor of like to me this was a better manifestation of what they wanted um jamie lee curtis's laurie strode totally. to be in the new halloween remake and it's also both of those characters are women who we had seen go through very specific trauma and now we're coming back to them having lived with all of that and all of the baggage that they carry internally the as a result yeah. yeah and i thought the Sarah Connor of it, um, it, it did a better job of embracing all of that. And yeah, you're so right. The That it's Linda Hamilton and that she has... I, listen, I have unending sympathy for women in this town. Mm. I will never like shit on some well I'll never shit on anyone anyway but I'm definitely not going to shit on someone for tweaking their face when like they've been told that all of their worth and value is tied into said face but the relief of Linda Hamilton having like proper aged skin but also still being this very like dependable strong horrifying like she's so great and scary yeah but in the best kind of way yeah I I yeah, She's I think it's wonderful. that relief, you know, that relief as a woman of mm. seeing, you know, finally like this, you know, the the old tough, very flawed, drunk, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, yeah. you know, that that was it was pure joy. And one uh, one thing I also want to talk about is the representation of Mexico in this film, which oh, was that's mm, great. Yeah. a breath of fresh air from Rambo. After that Rambo oh, movie, yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, there were there were names of cities. <laughs> You know, it you wasn't just, just Mexico, Mexico and ominous music. Did, oh, sorry, keep going. Oh, no, no. Uh, and then, like, yeah, the city seemed lively. And even when they were doing, like, the border hopping stuff, it didn't seem like it was painting them in this, like, evil oh, no. light. Like, it was just like... My theater, I just need to say, so they literally come up to the wall in Mexico because they're trying to sneak across. And there's, like, the simplest, like, way through it. Mm-hmm. My theater <laughs> cheered. Like, when they did that, they were like, I was like, yes, I, this is my place. These are my people. Yeah. Yeah, there have been some geniuses on Twitter who are like, why do these movies get political all of a sudden? It's like, you what? think Terminator and Terminator 2 were not already yeah. political? We're not allegories about like a woman's choices over yeah. regarding her own body and about technology run amok? It's like, I hate to break it to you. These, uh, this series has always been super fucking political. Yeah, no, I, it, just all art is political. And yes. the fact that these dumbass nerds online still haven't figured it's it the out. Worst. The <laughs> fact that the nerds are mad at the Watchmen for being being so political. It's like, have you read the fucking Watchmen? Have you read any of Alan Moore's work? Do you know what you're fucking reading? Are you a dumbass? Yeah. <laughs> like, Clearly they didn't understand yeah, it when they yeah. read the front. They just oh, like, yeah. well, they glanced through like well, a couple you, of pages. Well, and... when you think Rorschach's the hero, you gotta, you 
got to be like, yeah. oh yeah, you this there this, this show. This is why you're so mad because this show is making fun of you because the people who thought Rorschach was a hero are the bad guys. Yeah, because because you, you watched the Snyder cut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, oh, I man. oh sorry. That was uh, the tangent that I usually do to get into fanboys' ass uh, <laughs> because you're you're dumb. You're wrong about art and stop ingesting it. If you know, because the people you're trying to tweeting me about it, too. (laughs) I mean, who, man? But I mean, I heard it's great for women in comics right now, right? It's amazing. Super amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh man! Oh, you know, especially when you write a book that's the Me Too movement on apocalypse. Oh <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're, you're... <laughs> yeah, yeah. They love that, they right? Love it. Oh, fan mail just out of. Yeah. Oh, that's great. All right. Well, I guess it's time for us to rate this. Uh, and uh, the way we rate things here, Cecil, is would you screen it, stream it, or skip it? Uh, why don't you start, Drea? I would screen it. Yeah. I wish you could screen it with my theater who cheered. <laughs> At like a bunch of things that I loved, and then, and I think they were, fr- they, I think they were from Mexico City because they were like talking about elements that they were getting right. But yeah, see it oh. and try and uh, recreate my viewing. <laughs> yeah, I would screen it. I mean, I went, I went on opening night, you know, like to the first screening. So you know, it's uh, I was very excited about this film, and I love the mother daughters aspect of it. And um, I thought, I think screen it. Yeah, screen it. I mean, I, it's funny. I, I was wondering why it wasn't staying with me the way that I wanted it to, and I think I think you nailed it. I think it is there. It is missing an emotional core for for too much of it. But like, yeah, the there is an ex, it is bookended with some extraordinary stunt work and like huge yes. like just crazy action sequences you would expect. And then Linda Hamilton's performance. It's great. Yeah, I'm also a screen it as well. Yeah, I have to. I, I didn't really sit on that enough, but I think you know you were really hitting the nail on the head when you said when you first watched T2 and what it did. I felt this movie really did kind of up the stakes of what to do with like nanotechnology and the way that they used his powers were really interesting and cool. So I mean, and yeah, the fight sequences were great. So yeah, very fun time. Definitely go ahead and screen that. But. We'll have to get back to you because we're going to take a break. So why don't you listen to another show for Maximum Fun? What do you look for in a book? Literally, if on the bag it said, like, this book made me shit my pants, I'd be like, that's, I'm buying this book. Yeah. Like, like, I think the problem with blurbs a lot of times. I like that we both want to crap ourselves <laughs> over books. What's the best way to e-read in the tub? Listen to that noise. I'm reviewing a plastic bag today. <laughs> How do you find a good book? This is the most fucked up weird shit you've ever oh, yeah, read. I you're am, like into it. I'm like, hand it take, over. Take my money. I'm Brea Grant. And I'm Mallory O'Mara. We're Reading Glasses and we solve all your bookish problems every Thursday on Maximum Fun. Welcome back to Who Shot You? I'm your host, Ify Wadiwe, and in the studio with me are... Alonzo Duraldi. Cecil Castellucci. Drea Clark. And since daylight savings time is over and night arrives disturbingly early every Around day... Around noon. Yeah. Love it. Oof. We're going to talk about those films that take place all in one night in a segment we're calling Night Moves. <gasps> 
my god, thank you, Casey. In the summertime. Somewhere my dad, like, his head perked up because he felt that song, like, <laughs> Seeger? Seeger? <laughs> well, uh, let's start off by asking, what does setting a movie at night do to the tone of a film? May I begin? Um, because as someone who's produced a feature-length film that takes place all in one night that is currently available on iTunes and Amazon and all sorts of things, called The Last Time You Had Fun, um, uh, true story, please watch my movie. But the one of the reasons that we made our film structurally set all in one night is, um, and kind of what we were talking about in a small part with Terminator, movies need urgency. You need stakes. You need sort of an end point. You need something. And there's something about a lot of films that take place all in one night. It's either because there's like a singular event that's, you know, like the party or the after party or whatever, or it, it gives you a framework to work within. And for an art form that is as heavily structured as film is, having that as your sort of foundation is really helpful as a starting point of, oh, okay, because as soon as, you know, you have a world of options for characters, for stories, and that can be really daunting. So there's something about, all right, great, we're going to do club kids, but in one night, and therefore... It, it brings everything into sort of sharp focus. I mean, I think, it, am I wrong in thinking the er text of this genre is American Graffiti? Or, yeah. Or is there anything before that that really kind of... His Gal Friday. His Gal Friday. His Girl Friday, yeah. Yeah, his, yeah. yeah but that's not necessarily all at night. But it is. you're right, it it's, is packed into one 24-hour yeah. period. But I think, like, the, the idea of it being specifically a night An evening, thing, you right. know, yeah. <laughs> like that, uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, obviously, I, 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 I'm always hesitant to say the first. Because right. there's always some movie you never heard of yeah. and made in 1943, you know, the da-da-da-da, you know. Uh, I mean, like, you, yes, you could point to La Dolce Vita. There are other yes, examples. somebody, but, please. Please come for Alonso. Correct him. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I think you're right because I, I, usually it, it's a thing of like, why that night? Yeah. You know, and what what's what will be different when the sun rises? You know, and whether it's it's you know we we just graduated and we're going to see each other again, or I got to tell this girl before I get shipped off to Vietnam, or I got to whatever the thing is. You know, I mean, like after hours doesn't have mm. anything specific, but there is this sort of. It provides its own sort of mini propulsions along the way of like why he can't go home and why he's trapped in this sort of Kafka-esque nightmare and how it just yeah. keeps getting worse and worse. You know? I just love that, um, you know, as a storyteller, how um, in life we've all had experiences where there's one night that changes our life, you mm. know. And, and I think that, that that's something that's very familiar to, you know, to a, an audience because um, that is what can happen. That's the magic of what mm. can happen in one night. In one night everything can change. Sure. Oh, I have a new text. A Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, you're right. Oh, yeah, you're that's, right. that's the because original. That's, that's the night where like where anything can happen, and and relationships are thrown topsy turvy, yeah. and yeah. But but no, ironically, I, Twelfth Night over many days, <laughs> not so much. Yeah. So what are you? What are some of your favorite like night films? I used to be obsessed with Can't Hardly Wait, Ooh. which when you rewatch, I'm like, oh, I don't know if this holds up like yeah. I wanted to. But in terms of that and Dazed and Confused, yes. like anything that has sort of an ensemble in, but in, actually Dazed and Confused is all over their town. Party at the Moon Tower, like they're mm. all over the place. But Can't Hardly 
that's spread apart too. But they're good ensembles that have a lot of different stories going yeah, on. Yeah, American so Graffiti's all over the place. Yeah, too. they're hitting a lot. Exactly, those are ex- totally in the American Graffiti zone. I would say one of my favorites is Attack the Block. I was going to mm. say that. Yeah, too. Yes. we've talked about this before. Ricky loves that movie. That was like, our first live show that yeah. we did for this show. Oh yes. yeah, we premiered that at LA Film Festival and won the Audience Award. But Attack the Block, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend. It's um, it's very like unique world building. It has a sci-fi action premise almost. There's a great little ensemble cast mm-hmm. of little South London boys that you can't understand most of the time. Yeah. And Doctor Who. It has the current Doctor Who, <laughs> Jodie Whittaker in it. Um, but that's a that's and John a great and John Boyega. And John Boyega. Boyega. That yeah. was his star making. Uh, oh, he's yeah. so good yeah. in that. Yeah, and my Nigerian Boyega over there. Yes. <laughs> Uh, what about what about you? Do you have a favorite? I, you know, I, I I don't want to use the word favorite just because of the caliber of movies, uh, but definitely love the Purge. I led with Can't Hardly Wait, so you're I mean, fine. Oh, that's true. All the purges, yeah, all the purges, yeah, duh, the and that's purges. like the main device of the film is making it through the night, and that's what I think is fun is like stuff you know where you have to survive the night. Uh, oh, The Legend of Hell House. Yeah. I haven't seen that one. What's that one? Oh, it's a good one. It's uh, Roddy McDowell's uh, early oh, 70s. Yeah. It's one of those you have to spend the night in the haunted house. Uh, I love those. And it's Christmas Eve. <laughs> wow. Yes. Yes, it is. Oh, and for God's sake, uh, 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 hiding, uh, ready or not. Oh, oh yes. yes. That was all well, one night. Speaking oh, of houses, Clue. Yeah. Yes. I love You're Clue right. so that is a much. One night Clue, out. all oh, one yeah. night. Dark and stormy nights, mm-hmm. cast yeah. of exciting characters. You know, The Cat and the Canary, Murder by Death, which is a parody of movies like The Cat and the Canary. Um, <laughs> you have some great, you mentioned After Hours, yeah, but like I, also say. Assault on uh, Precinct 13. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Isn't all what, like there's, there's, there's ones in that that are in that sort of gritty, um, that have that mystery kind of detective yeah. component. Oh, I feel like when I Googled this, I also saw Escape from New York was in there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because he's, he's got 24 yeah. hours to yeah. do the thing. Yeah. Uh, a movie that has become, like, a, a hugely popular cult film of late, which I'm not sure where this all came from. I, I, I love the movie. I, I, I get the appeal of it, but I don't know why suddenly everyone's, I've been at least in my Facebook, everybody's talking about it so much, is Miracle Mile. Do y'all know that one? Oh, yeah, of course. Is oh. that the one with the nuclear? Yeah, the, 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 <laughs> like basically like the the, the nuclear the nukes have been launched and this guy who's at, at like Strategic Air Command tries to call his dad, gets the wrong number and calls like a phone booth and Anthony Edwards picks up the phone. Oh, y- and yes, it's like, Anthony. And yeah. he knows the nukes are flying and I get to figure out now what do we do how do we get out of LA what are we going to do next and it's mostly set actually in Johnny's diner on Wilshire (laughs) right across from the uh, Wilson Automotive or the Peterson Automotive yeah 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 and and, and much of the movie involves uh, Denise Crosby uh, pulling the world's largest cellular phone out of her purse (laughs) Uh, but yeah no it it is very kind of it it is that, that thing of like ticking clock we have one night we gotta get out of here I have a great ticking clock one Panic Room Oh, the yeah. Fincher movie with Jodie Foster. Yeah, and there's like the guys trying to break into her house. Mm-hmm. She kind of has to outlast them yeah. with her daughter, Kristen Stewart. Uh-huh. Oh wow! Oh yes, yes. These right. were all great movies. And it was go. a good time, but now we need to talk about a specific night. Oh, Christmas night. Oh Ooh. yeah, we do. Oh, 
Kid, that's how you segue right there. Yeah. <laughs> Show how it's done, Iffy. Because <laughs> now it's time for a segment that fills everyone's heart with that warm and cozy feeling. It's the Christmas Zaddy Christmas Movie Minute. Our Christmas Zaddy, Alonzo Duralde, who has written the book on Christmas, which you can get right now, which is Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas. Run to your local Barnes and Nobles. <laughs> Rip down the pallets on the door. Open it up. Grab a book or go to Amazon and download the ebook if you are a heathen. <laughs> but he will be quickly listing all of the Christmas movies he's seen in the past week in under a minute. Alonzo, are you ready? Yeah, I got eight. So, you know. <laughs> Ooh, okay. and, I, and I'm not even counting last Christmas because that's what we're talking about next week. <laughs> oh my God. You can do it. Okay. Right. Yeah. Go. Okay, so two turtle doves, actual good movie on Hallmark Mis Movies and Mysteries, mainly about grief. Shocking how good it was. Uh, Michael Rady and Nikki Deloach. That's the one I totally recommend. Can zip through the other ones. Nostalgia Christmas, pretty ridiculous and um, not all that interesting. Uh, Mary and Bright, also ridiculous, not that interesting. Um, uh, Road Home for Christmas has Marie Osmond. That's about all it has going for it. Christmas Scavenger Hunt, mostly a snooze. Christmas with a Prince Becoming Royal. I'm not super into the royal ones, but this one has a stone-cold megabitch jilted princess in it. She makes it fun. Um, Christmas Reservations. Uh, I can do without the Melissa Joan Hart in my life, but I did like Michael Gross and Marky Post, so there's that. Also, Super Diverse, which is very unhallmark. It's a Lifetime movie. And finally, Klaus, an animated film from uh, uh, Netflix. The funny stuff isn't very funny, but the touching stuff is touching and it's beautifully animated so check that out when it drops on Netflix in a couple weeks it's on screens in a few cities this week oh my god that was incredible <laughs> I mean as ever with those you had me at Marky Post oh, yeah. <laughs> right yes always I oh I'm, I, yeah, I definitely want to check out the ice cold mega bitch princess yeah. I'm like, all right I gotta which check which was that. the one that you said that was the was the one to see on uh, the list two turtle doves two okay. turtle doves Right, Booting it up tonight. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Uh, well, we, we, we recommended some Christmas movies. Let's just recommend regular ass movies. It's time <laughs> to wander over to that section in your virtual video store and see what the staff wants you to see. It could be any movie, in theaters, streaming, what have you. Cecil, you're our guest, so why don't you start us off with your staff pick? Well, I'm going to go with Booksmart. Um, Ooh, Booksmart, yes. uh, you know, is just an extraordinary film about girls growing up. And I, 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 I wept. I loved it. It was, it was so perfect. It was really a perfect movie. I thought Beanie Feldman was incredible. I can't remember what the name of the other girl was. Uh, Beanie Feldstein Deaver. and Caitlin Deaver. Feldstein, yeah. And they, they were both incredible. And I thought it was a really great depiction of true girl friendship. Mm -hmm. mm. I've watched it. Two or three times. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Alonzo? You got a pick? Yeah, this is a documentary that we screened at Outfest that I liked very much, and it is now going to be streaming. It's called Man Made, and it is made by T. Cooper, who is a uh, veteran trans author and activist. And it is about a group of trans men uh, competing in a bodybuilding competition. Mm. And so, if yeah, I think you yeah, would find that know, fascinating. Get that. It gets into really interesting issues about, you know, obviously there's been sort of, you know, controversies regarding. Regarding uh, trans athletes competing, you know, in, in doing competitive sports. Also, this, you know, bodybuilding so much about body image. And so it sort of represents these sort of turning points for people who are in the process of transitioning. Uh, it touches on a lot of stuff. And it's also uh, very... Uh, fascinating personal portrait of of these athletes and what it, participating in this event means to them and how they prepare for it and all that stuff so uh really great 
sports doc, trans doc, all the, you know, human doc, man-made, check it out. I'll second him on that. Man-made's great. Ooh. Yeah. It's not my pick. I just <laughs> wanted him to know. <laughs> okay. I see you, Alonso. I oh, see you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, I nice. feel seen. Mm-hmm. All right. And what's your pick, Julia? My pick is coming out limited release this weekend. It's called Honey Boy. It's um, written, or maybe co-written and starring um, Shia LaBeouf mm-hmm. and directed by Alma Harrell. And it is based on Shia's own life, particularly about his relationship with his father. Um, Shia was a, most people know, a kid actor mm-hmm. and... Um, Disney Channel star. Yes, and a Disney Channel star and has a very unique um, and at times upsetting relationship with his father and this is a very forthright assessment of that and he plays his father in this he's almost unrecognizable I know there was a ton of paparazzi pictures of him in character from when they shot this like a year and a half ago um but I found it even separate from the idea that it's based on his real story, because I know that can be a hang up for some people. I really enjoyed it. It was a Sundance film this year. And I, I think I love the films that I've been picking anyway, but I also like to bring up festival films because I think there's can be something distancing with festivals at a time. Like if you're not there and you're not seeing them, like you can still experience what festivals have to offer. Just follow their movies after the fact. And <laughs> Honey Boy is one of those movies. Yeah, yeah. A good friend uh, Byron Bowers is uh, mm. also in that, uh, doing something. Uh, <laughs> I'm psyched to see it. I, yeah, yeah I know too. everything. I'm Tell super. I'm gonna check. And it Lucas out. Hedges is in it. He plays, yeah. he plays Shia's a more adult version of himself. Uh, and as a kid, it's Noah Jupe, who I think is a terrific Fantastic. young actor. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, me, I'm what a, about you? You, you know, I, I don't have a movie this week. Uh, this week. Did uh, you just want to say 1998's Godzilla again? Uh, no, I was just <laughs> going to say uh, just a light TV wreck and just tell people to watch Watchmen since we got a lot of man boys very mad that, you know, they're forced to look at the very, very real atrocities placed against uh, black people in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, when, you know, a nation tells you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but likes to sweep over the fact that they bombed us when we did. Uh, it was the whole thing that really happened. So that's one thing I don't want you to think is was part of the show. That is a real event that happened, mm-hmm. the bombing of Tulsa. Well, before we go, let's read a five-star review. If you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we'll read it on air. And this one comes from One Grumpy Gal. I've subscribed April? to- April <laughs> I've subscribed to other movie podcasts, but this is the one I act, I always actually listen to every time. Nice. Well, well, thanks, Grumpy. Thank yeah, That's thanks. a genuinely good one. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for you know coming in and not just having to sit in a queue. By we, the way, I didn't mention it because it's several years old, but Lifetime is rerunning Grumpy Cat's Worst Christmas Ever. Recommend. <laughs> Shocked. Uh, Grumpy Cat's is voiced by... Uh, 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 Parks and Rec, uh, Aubrey Plaza. Oh, oh my God. Nice. Okay. So you want to watch this? I'm back in. Right. Rest in peace, Grumpy Cat. I know. Uh, Cecil, thank you for being on the show. Where can people find you? Um, people, thank you. This was amazing. Uh, people can find me at uh, uh, Miss Cecil uh, at on the Twitter and um, Cecil Castellucci on the intranets. And do you uh, have like a book or something coming out soon? Yeah, I have a book called Girl on Film. It's a memoir about uh, becoming an artist, a writer, uh, and sort of failing to become what I thought I was going to become, which was the world's greatest filmmaker. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ooh, all right. Well, if you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at Who Shot Your Pod, and our Facebook group can be found at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Who Shot Your Podcast, or send us an email at Who Shot You at MaximumFun.org. Our producer is Casey O'Brien, our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.